Good morning. I'm Wimala. Today is Friday, the 9th of December, and it has been snowing here at my place since uh, the middle of the night. And I, I'm really surprised. We a few days ago this wasn't plan expected, and other places I think it's uh, uh, different. We're having really just completely uh, a lot of white snow. So I have to be very short today because I have to go out and get the snow off my car before to, before I can go to my um, treatment today. So I'm going to have to do a short reading out of this wonderful book, Pema Chodron, How We Live is How We Die. And uh, that will probably be it. But I wanted to finish up our part of the book and get going. Uh, it's going to take me extra time. I'm kind of moving slowly these days, so shovel. Uh, I don't have to shovel, but I have to scrape snow off my car. But it's beautiful, so... There's that to it, too. That's part of what's wonderful about the snowy winter season. So um, I do want to remind people that tomorrow is the um, blessing ceremony for the new year at Blue Lotus from 4 to 7 and the regular service in the morning at 10. Um, we still have that. Uh, there'll also be an opportunity, if you have it, that just came up recently with one of the groups that were that's being promoted at Blue Lotus Community Groups, so we can do things for local groups and people in need in our community. And there is a group who's looking for things for uh, low-income seniors in nursing homes and facilities. And things like chapstick and mittens and fuzzy socks, you know, to wear to stay warm in the winter. And uh, throws. So if you have anything like that, uh, the committee is going to donate money and members of the, our service committee, the uh, Compassion and Action it just came up so suddenly that the, we haven't had a chance to put it out to the community. But if you're out shopping today, grab something that you can put in a box tomorrow or give to, uh, they'll announce it probably in the morning. But if you should have some, something, uh, that would be, a, that would be good for someone who probably doesn't get a lot of Christmas gifts, something for them to have for the season just to cheer them up and to make it a little brighter for them, uh, that would be great. So I was I had to go out shopping a little bit yesterday when, before the snow, and uh, that's probably going to be it for me for the rest of the weekend. Um, but I could have I picked up things yesterday, but we just found out about it early this morning. So... Uh, Things that, things that are new, but things that are, uh, you know, small things that you would want to give someone who's uh, homebound and doesn't get out and something that will be, a cheer, be cheerful. And I'm sure a little individually wrapped candies would work too. 
I know my mom always enjoyed that. So uh, let's read the very last. It's the conclusion from How We Live is How We Die, Pema Chodron's book. And then I'm going to have to get going outside. So then I think your meditation will have to be on your own this morning. But hopefully you've got the time to just sit for maybe 15 minutes after I finish talking. Ishi was the last of his tribe. The Yahi had been all but exterminated during and after the gold rush. And this is in uh, California. With a few remaining family members, Ishii had fled to the wilderness, and decades later he was the only Yahi left. Early one morning in 1911, he appeared, disoriented and almost naked, in the northern California town of Oroville. Not long after, the anthropologist Alfred, Alfred Krober took the train to Oroville and brought Ishii back to Berkeley, where Krober was a professor. He wanted to spend as much time with Ishii as possible to learn everything he could about him. And by all accounts, Ishii was happy to go along. Ishii was friendly and warm-hearted, and people were amazed at his adaptability. He was always watching how people did things, figuring out how to live in a completely different world. When someone gave him a coat and tie to wear, he was happy to wear these strange clothes. But when offered shoes, he politely refused. He wanted to feel the earth. Although some contemporary people feel that Krober took advantage of Ishii, and certainly one could interpret it that way, evidence suggests that they became extremely close friends. Eventually, they were able to communicate with words. But when Kroger at Krober asked him his name, he wouldn't say. It was not his custom to tell his name to anyone outside his tribe. So Krober called him Ishi, which simply means man, and Ishi accepted that. When Krober had first brought him to the station, Ishi hid behind a pillar when the train arrived. Then he came out and they boarded the train together. Later, when they could speak to each other, Krober asked him why he had hidden. Ishii said, We used to see trains from the mountains with their fire and billowing smoke, and we thought they were monsters that ate people. So we always stayed away from them. Then Krober asked, How did you have the courage to get on the train? Ishii then said something that I've always found inspiring. I was more curious than afraid. One of my main intentions in writing this book has been to help people become more curious than afraid, especially when it comes to death and dying. To fear death is a daily burden, and as I've tried to explain, an unnecessary one. Death is part of the ongoing and endless series of bardos the wondrous flow of birth and death. In order, to, in order to be fully intimate with life, I feel we have to be fully intimate with death. Ishii must have been fully intimate with death to behave the way he did. It's not that surprising. All the people he knew had died, 
and he'd been living for years on the edge of starvation. He had nothing left to lose. But if we tune in to how birth and death happen in every moment, we'll realize we often often have nothing to lose. Then we'll be able to live fearlessly and with great compassion for all the other people on this planet who are struggling, anxious, and afraid. And our freedom of heart and mind will make us more available to help others and more effective in doing so. Like many spiritual traditions, Buddhism originated from the universal human need to make a relationship with death. The future Buddha spent his early life within the walls of his father's palace, sheltered from all signs of mortality. But when he ventured out one day, he saw an old man, a sick man, and a corpse. These sights made him wonder what the whole point of life was, if it was just, if it would just lead to these results. He left the comforts of his palace to seek a way of making both life and death more meaningful. What he discovered in his quest and passed down through all the centuries and generations is the wisdom that I've been so fortunate to receive from my teachers. It is this wisdom that in some small part I've attempted to convey in this book. What I've presented about the bardos is only a tiny fraction of the knowledge that you can find in other places. For those who are interested, I've included a suggested reading list at the back of this book. At the same time, I believe the most important factor in preparing for death is to remember that how we live is how we die. If we learn to embrace impermanence, to work with our kleshas, those are difficult uh, emotions, to recognize the sky-like nature of our mind, and to open ourselves wider and wider to the experiences of life, we'll be learning both how to live and how to die. If we develop a passion to learn about the groundless, unpredictable, unfathomable nature of our world and of our mind, that will enable us to, able us to face our death with more curiosity than fear. And this is a prayer to Machik Labdran Karma Chagme. This precious human birth, so free and well-favored, bless me that I reach its full meaning. The time of death is uncertain. Bless me that I have no regrets. So we read uh, a big chunk of this book. And again, she has an appendix. The first one is A History of the Bardo Teaching, which looks good. Uh, And Appendix B, she has practices, detailed, basic sitting meditation, guided with open awareness meditation. And that's that's a guided practice by Yungay Mingyur Rinpoche. There's Tonglen Meditation. So uh, then she has charts that are very interesting and 
the the, the uh, realms of samsara, that wheel of samsara. And her suggestions for further reading. So, I'm I'm uh, ending now. If you can just sit, and remember to dedicate any merit. Uh, we can do that together first. May everything I do and say and think today be done not only for my own benefit but also for the benefit of all living beings everywhere. Okay, so uh, please sit and I'll go out and uh, get the snow off my car and get, get moving. So enjoy this. It is beautiful outside, so enjoy the beauty of the day. <laughs>